This was, I think, the most outlandish comment on any of the calls. Our third quarter operating income guidance range is zero to $3.5 billion. <laughs> I mean, why? Oh why? You know, you know what, folks? Wall Street, <laughs> that was pro- good. it could be anything. Yeah, it could right. be anything. <laughs> that's <laughs> good. still gets away with that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> Hi, and welcome to GeekWire. I'm GeekWire co-founder Todd Bishop. And I'm GeekWire co-founder John Cook. We're coming to you from Seattle, where we get to report on what's happening around us in technology, business, and innovation. What happens here matters everywhere. And every week on this show, we talk about some of the biggest and most interesting stories in the news. John, it has been a while. It's good to see you. Yeah, I'm out of touch. I've been traveling all over and working on the GeekWire business and making things happen. We had about 500 people out last night for GeekWire Sounders Day. We're recording this on Wednesday, August 3rd. Giant crowd. Great crowd. Great night in Seattle. Our annual barbecue and rooftop party at First Mode. And yeah, it was super fun. I got to interview legendary Seattle Sounders, Steve Zakawani, and just connect with a lot of people in the tech community that were itching to get out and connect. John, did you get a sense from anybody out there in the crowd about the economy? What was the mood in terms of the startup folks that were there? It's a big question on everybody's minds these days, and it's part of what I want to talk about on this week's show. So I thought I'd start with that. It's a bit mixed, I think, depending upon the industries. There are a few venture capitalists out there who certainly have been talking about the decrease in valuations that they're seeing across their portfolio and those companies going out to raise additional rounds of capital. So There are companies that are certainly failing it and cutting back and concerned about the economic shift, but there are others that are just growing like gangbusters and have not hit pause whatsoever. Uh, I was talking to one banker who is there who said their business is doing just fine. They're, They're not seeing things turn negative whatsoever. And so it, it is this weird place where there's a lot of talk of a recession. There's a lot of action that's being taken, especially by companies that are, you know, the unicorn style startup companies that raise tons of money at enormous valuations that are now having to react to what's going on in the public markets. And it just seems like it's a lot of financial Wall Street <laughs> change that's happened. But if you talk to them and you say, how how is your business doing? They're saying, we're still signing clients, we're still growing, just not growing as fast because we're worried. So it seems like business is still getting done. At least that's the sense I got. It's not like people have completely put on the brakes and the economy is just completely shut down. I mean, we're nowhere near that. So it's it's a strange time and people are trying to figure it out. Well, much as you would talk to folks at a party or an event or on the phone or on calls to figure that out, John, I decided to try and answer the same question. What's happening to the economy? What's happening in the tech industry? By listening to the second quarter earnings calls of five different companies. I did it so the people out there didn't have to. You're a good man, Todd. You're a good man. <laughs> how, ma- how many multiple hours did you spend on this? <laughs> so here's what I did. I recorded them and then I listened to them on my AirPods much as I would a podcast while uh-huh. I was doing other things. At what speed? Did you s- speed it up? About 1.25. About okay. 1.25 is where I tend to go. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, I don't recommend it for the GeekWire podcast. I think you need no, to take the GeekWire podcast <laughs> at the intended pace <laughs> just to absorb everything that we have to say. <laughs> but I listened to the calls of Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, the Google parent, Apple, and Facebook. And John, my key takeaway was very much the same as yours. It feels like there's this vague storm cloud on the horizon a lot of uncertainty. That was especially on the Alphabet earnings call with Sundar Pichai. One of the key words they kept coming back to, just in uncertainty, uncertainty. And they can see a pullback in spending by advertisers in some cases, but it's just not anything that's concrete. I want to cut in because I just came up with a story idea. You know how these podcasts often generate yes. story ideas. Okay, so yeah. here it is. And maybe you already did this, and that's because I don't even know what we're going to talk about on this podcast. I'm ill prepared. But just hearing you say that word uncertainty, can you analyze all the transcripts of those five companies and do a story on how many times they use the word like uncertainty, headwinds, you know, or you know, certain key phrases about the economy? Or did you already do this? Here is one of the problems. I, I think it's a great idea in theory. The issue is the level of jargon that you run into on these calls would render any attempt at quantitative linguistic analysis completely worthless. And this segues directly into my first rant, John. My first rant. Well, this is going to be a rant show. I love this. Potentially. Okay. Okay. All right. So ostensibly, these are earnings reports. This is the moment where the CEO or the CEO's proxy faces Wall Street, gives them facts. This is not a conference where they are pitching their products, in theory at least. But in reality, this is a pitch. That's all these CEOs seem to be doing in their preambles. Everything is an opportunity. Everything is a strength. And as I listen to these CEO introductions to these earnings reports and their answers to the analysts, I kept longing for this thing that I learned way back in business school at Chico State in California, SWOT, a SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. I keep coming back to this and I wish that companies would adopt this. I don't think you need to regulate it, but I think it would be a best practice. I will tell you, John, there was one company that did it and one CEO. Oh, you got to quiz me. That actually talked about their threats. Okay. Of, quiz, of the five. Quiz me. Of the five. Quiz me. I'm going to take, okay. take a guess. Okay. Of the five. I'll tell you that. who it was. Okay. No, don't take tell a guess. Me. I want to take a guess. Uh, so this basically, you're asking me which CEO do I think speaks most transparently to. I don't know if transparently is the right word, but at least gets into the structure of hey, these are our strengths, these are our weaknesses, here are the threats and the opportunities. Like, here's a full picture. I'm, and they're not spinning every single thing. They're actually talking about the challenges. Okay. I'm, I, I'm, I listened I'm, again to yeah. Microsoft, Amazon, Alphabet, Apple, and Facebook. Meta. Okay. I'm definitely going to cut out Meta Facebook. I don't think You're, Amazon does it. I'm wrong. It was Meta <laughs> Facebook. Wrong. It was oh, Meta. Geez. Here's ah. the thing. We can get to this later, okay. but there was no talking around the disaster that Facebook <laughs> is facing. <laughs> okay. Well. Meta, meta. So we'll get to that a little okay. bit later. But let me just give you a sample of what, what we're talking about here. Here is Satya Nadella on Microsoft's earnings call last week. 
When I talk with customers, it's clear there is a real opportunity to help organizations in every industry use digital technology to overcome today's challenges and emerge stronger. Okay. There's challenges out there, but you know what? Those are actually opportunities. Microsoft is there to solve everyone's problems. Right. It perfectly epitomizes the spin that gets placed on these earnings calls. So let's let's keep going. In this environment, we are focused on three things. First, no company is better positioned than Microsoft to help organizations deliver on their digital imperative so that they can do more with less. Second, we will invest to take share and build new businesses in categories where we have long-term structural advantage. Okay, John, there's so much to unpack there. I, I'm, just, I'm just waiting for Satya to break out and say, they're, they're, they're waiting to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. <laughs> just, just put your mission statement in, in there too, right? Exactly. So he said they want to help organizations deliver on their digital imperative to do more with less. In other words, budgets are getting tighter. Microsoft is making the pitch that they're a way to spend less and do more. And then the other point that he just made was they'll invest in areas where they have a long-term structural advantage. The business, in my view, that most exemplifies this inside Microsoft right now is their security technology business. The part of the company where they sell tools across multiple clouds to secure people's digital estates, as Satya Nadella would say. And you see them doubling down on this and at the same time, trying to get new customers by pitching them on cost savings. That's a big focus for Microsoft right now. And, and then John, just with the last part of this, number three, since he set up the three. Lastly, we will manage through this period with an intense focus on prioritization and executional excellence in our own operations to drive operational leverage. There you have the signal, hey, cutbacks. Microsoft just recently tightened its belt, about 1% of its workforce, they cut back. They've made it clear that they're not going to be hiring as quickly in the future. They've cut some open positions. Even though they're making acquisitions, they still have to absorb those acquisitions over time. They are making it clear that they're not going to be growing as much. The reason I wanted to start with that was it perfectly exemplified the jargon that you have to cut through, the ways that companies are trying to adjust to the different economic reality, both externally in the pitches they're making to customers and internally in the way they're restructuring their operations. And one other thing that really exemplified this in Microsoft's most recent quarter was for the first time, really, operations positions at Microsoft now outnumber research and development positions. Microsoft in its employment trends in its annual report with the SEC breaks things down into categories. And I've been tracking these things for years. And this to me is a really interesting moment because it suggests that execution of existing approaches and existing businesses is taking a larger priority, at least right now inside Microsoft, than coming up with new innovations. Now, that's a, that's a caricature. And certainly it's not something that you can apply to every single part of the company, but I do think it's notable as a big picture, broad brush, way of looking at it. Yeah, that's very interesting. And they're getting, you know, it's a very mature company. So you'd expect that over time. So 
maybe not that surprising, but I know Microsoft, in order to get the valuations that they want, often has to preach about everything they're going to be doing that's new and creative and innovative in the future. So why is this such a issue for you? Why? I mean, why is this your rant? Why is this bothering you? I feel like this is the moment when you're talking to actual investors, people on these calls and their representatives in the form of analysts who are putting their money into these companies, it's a moment to get real. And I think that it's the one moment or one of the moments when CEOs need to put aside their instincts to pitch and to spin. And I don't expect them to go completely negative, but I expect them to be a little bit more plain spoken. Okay. I get it. I, I can respect that. I would obviously appreciate a little less jargon and <laughs> Make it easier for you to have to wade through this. But a CEO's job, ABS, Todd, always be selling. Always be selling. <laughs> always be selling. You're right. Well, but that's more the startup CEO's job. They're selling their company. They're, I don't I know. know. They're selling their, they're selling their right. story. They're selling their company. You know, they're selling these analysts. You know, they want more of that money to be put into their company. So along these lines... Do you want to know who was the absolute worst? Who would you guess? It's got to be Andy Jassy. Of course. Now, here's the thing. We'll oh, he doesn't join Andy the call Jassy. just like Jeff Bezos? No. I was going to ask you. I was like, I haven't been on an Amazon earnings call. And I was curious if, if he followed the same path that Bezos did. He doesn't even show up. Okay. In that instance, <laughs> since it's their CFO, I would think CFO is just going to be pretty straightforward. Yes. Uh, the we'll get to that later. Okay. The yes. person who's going to be the worst – um, can we, I Just eliminated like over overselling and like, I will tell you this person, this could have been a state of the union, like a presidential address. Like you could, you could imagine um, the, the, the music swelling underneath this person. Gosh, I'm doing so bad on the cuisine here. I got Tim Cook at Apple. Yeah. Tim Cook. Here you okay. go. Okay. This quarter has ultimately been a reflection of our resilience and our optimism. As we look forward, we're clear eyed about the uncertainty in the macro environment Yet we remain ever focused on the same vision that has guided us from the beginning. We strive every day to be a place where imagination ignites innovation like nowhere else, where good people come together to achieve great things, where customers are the center of everything we do. And we'll continue to execute on that vision as we always have, led by a focus on excellence and a desire to leave the world better than we found it. I'm going to barf. <laughs> I think I cut him off there. Let me just see. I've, I heard enough. I heard enough anyway, Todd. I don't okay. hear no, anymore. Right. I think yeah, that's a fine. That, that's fine. <laughs> you can cut it. <laughs> I don't need to hear. I don't need to hear more. I mean, come on. All come right. on. It is a little over the top. A little over the top. The conclusion we missed was, and EPS was down 5%. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, right. Well, here's my question. This is obviously, I, I'm guessing this is largely taken from their written opening remarks when they kick off the calls. Does this kind of language continue when you get into the Q&A portion with the analysts, or do they then change their tone a little? It depends on the company. I would say Satya Nadella is very good at staying on message and speaking in response to the analysts in much the same way that he did at the beginning. So basically not answering the question. <laughs> <laughs> they all tend to defer to their CFOs for any real nitty gritty stuff. And then of course they talk about vision, which is how it would work. But speaking of the CFOs, I have to say of all of the statements by 
any of the executives on these calls. This was the one that made me groan the most. This was Ruth Porat. She is the CFO for Google and Alphabet, talking about the shift in the advertising market. In YouTube and network, the pullbacks in spend by some advertisers in the second quarter reflects uncertainty about a number of factors that are challenging to disaggregate. That are challenging to disaggregate. You know what? Maybe why this made me laugh was <laughs> pull. <laughs> in other words, we have no idea what the heck is going on. That's what that means. And I, I, I envisioned this as a Calvin and Hobbes strip, where Calvin is like sitting there with disarray around him, and his dad goes, "Calvin, what happened? What's going on?" And Calvin responds, "Dad, the answer to that is challenging to disaggregate." <laughs> <laughs> It's a very interesting word choice. It wasn't, wasn't the word I was expecting there. Yeah. And, you know, that gets to the big picture uncertainty that everybody is facing, but it also gets to the fact that nobody is speaking in a real way on any of these calls. It's like this complete corporate jargon speak. And granted, I do want to acknowledge the role of the journalist is to figure this stuff out and to translate it. It's not the role of the companies to present it in that way. But I will say, I wish they would get a little bit closer to reality and and real English when they do this. Todd, I got a question for you on this. Does this make you long for the days of T-Mobile CEO, John Ledger? (laughs) And how would he handle the earnings calls? Yes. (laughs) Because I can't yeah, imagine you know, him uttering any of these phrases at any time. I would say it was such a breath was, of fresh air. Yes, yes. However, <laughs> he was also, I would say, overly optimistic at times on T-Mobile. In other words, he would speak in a brash manner about their competitors, but not necessarily in a candid manner about the company. So it's a little different. I, I don't think he would ever say, as Tim Cook did, we're ever focused on how imagination ignites innovation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I could never imagine that. That last comment by Ruth Porat from Google and Alphabet actually gets into a much bigger picture issue of advertising, which was a common thread through all of this. Because if there's one place where the uncertainty is a little more certain, it's in that field and it's driving a big portion of the tech economy. So I want to get into that when we come back. You're listening to GeekWire and we'll be right back after this. Technology moves fast. I need to move faster. WGU's competency-based education puts me in control of how fast I move through my IT degree program. I can accelerate my program by applying what I already know to my courses and focusing on the things I need to learn. Earn a respected accredited degree that propels your career in the IT field. Learn more at wgu.edu backslash IT certs included. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. We are here on the GeekWire podcast, and we're trying to figure out from major tech company earnings reports, and specifically the earnings calls by their CEOs and CFOs and other executives, what's happening in the tech economy as best we can. John, right before we took the break, we listened to a clip from Ruth Porat from Google and Alphabet talking about how that company's advertising revenue slumped a bit. Google's ad sales were $56 billion in its core business in the most recent quarter. That was up 11.6% year over year. So still pretty good growth, but that compares to nearly 69% the year before. And of course, as we just learned, the reasons for that are challenging to disaggregate. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> Google was not the only one uh, who reported lower revenue. Microsoft said revenue was $100 million lower than expected for LinkedIn and for its search and news advertising in the quarter based on an overall slowdown in ad spending. Now, here was an interesting exception, John. I, know I thought what this it is. was fascinating. Go ahead. Amazon. That's right. Yeah, because I think they're just gobbling up a lot of share in the adverti- digital advertising space. Certainly, there are larger economic headwinds that are tanking part of the digital advertising space. But you got to ask yourself, there's a component here of a big-time player coming in and Amazon that might be taking some business from – maybe not from LinkedIn. I wouldn't guess it's LinkedIn so much, but from Google slash Alphabet, definitely. And from Facebook to some extent as well. Yeah. I, you're absolutely right. So to your point earlier, here is Amazon's CFO, its chief financial officer, Brian Olsofsky, who will not at any point be mistaken for delivering a presidential State of the Union address talking about the advertising market. Right now, we still see strong uh, advertising growth. Um, again, it's got to be a positive both for the customer and for the brand. I think our advantage um, is that we have highly efficient advertising. Uh, people are advertising at the point where customers have their credit cards uh, out and are ready to make a purchase. It's also very um, measurable. Um, and when people are looking, your companies are looking to uh, potentially streamline or optimize their advertising spend, we think our products uh, compete very well in that in that regard. Uh, in addition to uh, maybe longer term uh, things like brand building and uh, brings you know new selection to to bear in front of customers. That I could actually understand. That seemed yeah. pretty. That 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 seemed pretty. You know, clear clear and focused in its in its response. To, to your point earlier, John, that was in response to an analyst's question. That was not in his preamble. But his preamble, frankly. It was just very sober and clear, and he does a good job. I do wish Jassy would do this call, and the historical precedent here is Steve Ballmer would not be on the Microsoft calls typically unless there was something crazy going on, Yahoo acquisition or something like that. But when Satya Nadella took over as CEO at Microsoft, Satya Nadella did start joining the calls. And so if you follow that precedent, it would actually make sense for Andy Jassy to jump on. I, I don't know. I don't know how Jassy would do. Yeah, especially since I – in a surprising manner, I think, for both of us, Todd, I think we've been surprised at how much Jassy's come in and really kind of changed directions. And maybe that's from Bezos and maybe that's part the you know the deck he's been – dealt, you know, the economy shifted a lot. He's lost a lot of executive management team. But I think we've both been surprised that he has done as much as he's done to change course and put his stamp on the company. So to that tune, you would think this would be another way he could put his stamp on the company is by leading the earnings call. I don't know how Jassy would do on that. I think he may want to get a little bit more time under his belt as CEO before he does that. Well, isn't the discussion around Jassy that he's really detail-oriented? Yeah, uh, that's and true. And that lends itself to earnings. I mean, you got to know your numbers I, I, yeah. and know the details of the business. So it, it lends itself to it, maybe more so than a Bezos who's just kind of the visionary entrepreneurial type. 
Right. You'd walk away from an earnings call with Bezos with a post on, you know, seven ways that Amazon innovates and is going to control the future versus how they did in the quarter or how they're going to do next quarter. I can't remember if I said this, but to round that out, Amazon's advertising revenue was up 18% to $8.75 billion. So doing very well in that realm. And it's not even really their core business. Now, one last thing from Olsofsky, the Amazon CFO, John, I threw this in here because I, I knew you would appreciate it. This was, I think, the most outlandish comment in a very numerical way on any of the calls. Our third quarter operating income guidance range is zero to $3.5 billion. <laughs> I mean, why? Oh why? It could, you know, you know what, folks? Wall Street, <laughs> pro, good. it could be anything. Yeah, it could right. be anything. <laughs> uh, uh, that was good. I guess the, the only insight there is that they actually expect profits and yeah, not a loss, yeah. frankly. <laughs> that's, that's basically, that's it. Okay. <laughs> Oh, and Amazon still gets away with that stuff, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think your point on advertising is very good, John. I think that is one way that we're seeing the economy shift. Brian Olsofsky talked about the fact that Amazon is closer to the transaction. It's a more quantifiable, trackable, clearly effective spend for advertisers. And I think that's what happens when people start tightening their belts. From what I've heard from analysts, when they look at Prime Day in particular, it also happened there where people went from buying things that they wanted to have to buying things that they needed to have, staples and that sort of thing. And just looking at Prime Day as an opportunity to save money on things they'd otherwise buy. All right. So that is a look at the advertising market in part. And I really do think that that is the one place where you can start to see the actual economic impact. It's not just uncertainty. You're seeing it in the numbers. And that is a concern because of how much the tech industry relies on advertising. And coming up next, the one company whose earnings call was a real reality check on where their business is because it had to be because their business is in trouble. That's coming up next. This GeekWire podcast is sponsored in part by Yale University Press. Are you concerned about the rise of AI and how it will impact our society? Every day, artificial intelligence presents us with urgent ethical challenges. How do we harness this extraordinary technology to empower rather than oppress? Nigel Shadbolt and Roger Hampson have written a how-to for building ethical machine intelligence. Their new book, As If Human, Ethics and Artificial Intelligence, is now available wherever books are sold. Welcome back. It's Todd Bishop with John Cook. John, I'm enjoying listening to some of these clips and getting your take. I, I like it's this. It's fun. One, so. I love this. Yeah. Next up, Meta, aka Facebook. This, of course, is Mark Zuckerberg, who's still the CEO of this company somehow. And <laughs> well, somehow, doesn't he have like super shares that he's, the, yes, yeah, there's no way you can right. get You're fired, right? right? So <laughs> exactly. This was Sheryl Sandberg's last quarter as chief operating officer of the company. It was her swan song. They had some nice farewells to her, but it was also the first quarter that Facebook has ever seen a year on year quarterly decline in revenue. So this was a bit of a moment where Mark Zuckerberg had to really acknowledge that all was not rosy. And he did do something closer to a SWOT analysis, like I was talking about earlier, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. And some of the threats he talked about were the fact that there's the shift to short-term video reels following in the footsteps of TikTok. They don't monetize as well right now. 
There's a loss of signal, as they call it, from Apple's iOS changes, the new privacy changes on the iPhone and other Apple devices that are making it much more difficult for Facebook and others to target advertising. And then he also acknowledged the slowdown in advertising budgets and the uncertainties in the macro environment. But this to me was the most interesting thing from Facebook. Mark Zuckerberg explaining where the company is going from here. One of the main transformations in our business right now is that social feeds are going from being driven primarily by the people and accounts you follow to increasingly also being driven by AI recommending content that you'll find interesting uh, from across Facebook or Instagram, um, even if you don't follow those creators. Social content from people you know uh, is going to remain an important part of the experience and uh, some of our most differentiated content. But increasingly, we'll also be able to supplement that with other interesting content from across our networks. Right now, uh, about 15% of, of content in a person's Facebook feed and, and a little more than that of their Instagram feed um, is recommended by our AI from people, groups, or accounts that uh, you don't follow. And we expect these numbers to more than double by the end of next year. Um, as our AI finds additional content that people will find interesting, uh, that increases engagement and the quality of, of our feeds. And since we're already efficient at monetizing most of these formats, um, this should increase our business opportunity over that period as well. Okay. I have so many problems with this, John. So many problems. Facebook is supposed to be the place where you connect with your friends, your friends, <laughs> even if yeah. it's like your, your, your pseudo friends, right? At least it's your Facebook friends. And here they are seeing a downturn in revenue, a decline in engagement. They look over and look at what TikTok is doing, just as every single other company is out there right now. And they say, hey, that, look, that's where folks are going. Let's give them more of that short form video content things that people didn't ask to follow just because the AI says so. And I have a real problem when the only way a company can keep growing and stay relevant is to completely, although you could hear Mark Zuckerberg giving some caveats here, so completely probably isn't the right word to use, but to move away from the fundamental value proposition that they built their business on and they brought users in on. And of course, you saw the backlash from Kylie Jenner on this related to Instagram, make Instagram, Instagram again, based on this same trend that Mark Zuckerberg is talking about here. And of course, influencers have a real vested interest in making sure that people who follow them actually see their content and not what the AI serves up. I just have a problem with this. And, and the other problem, and, let, and then I'll be quiet, but the other problem I have with this is it's so bad for society, this whole trend, <laughs> the shift to reels, the the short form video content just feeding into our need for dopamine and our quest for instant gratification. And this is what the tech economy, or at least a portion of it, is being built on. And I think it's a real problem. And I think ultimately it's going to crumble. I agree. You know, AI recommending content to a degree makes sense. But if you're really shifting your focus there, it does seem like it, they're just chasing you know, dollars and not doing what's right, which is the big criticism of Facebook. You would think they would have learned their lesson with all the, you know, mistakes they've made along the way here, but it seems like they're just digging the hole deeper for themselves. I mean, the AI 
has already created massive problems for the trustworthiness of Facebook already. So why would you dig that hole deeper for yourself? I don't get it. I agree. However, I don't think they compare it to disinformation, misinformation, the challenge with letting the platform get away from themselves in a way that undermines democracy. I think they compare it to the successful shift that they made from desktop to mobile. And they see this shift toward short form content, algorithms, deciding what you see as a fundamental change along the lines of the adoption of smartphones. And I got to say, that bothers me even more <laughs> because that suggests that this vapid, empty shift that we're all making or that society is making toward this type of content is fundamental along the lines of mobility and smartphones. And that's really troubling, really troubling. Yeah, I, I, I'm on the same page with you here. You know, we also sound a little bit like old men on this uh, to some degree, I but I, I don't know. You do have to have some sort of belief that content matters and quality content matters. What if Mark Zuckerberg came out and said, hey, we're going to make your social feeds stronger because we're going to measure the quality of the content that's coming into your feed and making sure it's higher quality content you're getting. And maybe they're going to do that through the AI, but I didn't hear that that's in right. that message. What I heard was, right. hey, what's well, popular and cool and and what's getting the most likes, which is what their business was built on and where we got went down all the problems. We're going to serve that up to you from other content creators that you don't know. Not we're going to parse all the data out there on the different subjects and serve up the four or five best pieces of content. That's what they should be doing, but they don't care about this. They actually don't care about the quality of content that their end consumer gets. That's not true. They do care about quality. They just define it differently than you do. Well, I'm right and they're wrong. In fact, this was just a portion of the earnings call. Obviously, we only played a small clip, but Mark Zuckerberg did, in fact, specifically use the word quality to talk about the improvements that the AI is making in the feed. It's just that it's not content directly from the people you follow. But the issue is that they're defining quality by engagement, the length of time that they can keep you on the platform so they can serve more ads to you so they can make more money. And you're defining quality by something a little more qualitative, something less measurable, and that is the way that it enriches your life. Now, I would argue that the length of time you spend on the feed scrolling through reels does not equal enrichment of your life. It equals enrichment of Meta and Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg. And that's that's the thing. And that's where I start to sound like a really old man, to your point. But come on, people. Like, I and and you're talking to somebody. I love YouTube, John. I love YouTube. I have people that I follow on YouTube. I learn things from a guy who fixes random guitars. I love daily dose of internet. It's something that my daughter and my wife and I can sit down and have a great time with in a couple minutes. But I also then find myself getting sucked into these short form videos and an hour and a half later, I feel really crappy about myself and I haven't gotten eight hours of sleep the next morning <laughs> and it's just a problem. And it's the way that these algorithms 
play with our brains, do things that we know we shouldn't be doing, that we don't really want to do because of the way the chemicals in our brains work. And it's an issue. And there you have it. This is why the meta and Facebook model is eventually doomed. I think they're in a bad position and they know it. And I think they've lost all sorts of trust with their audience. They're losing audience. And I'm very curious to see where Facebook slash meta is in three years. Yeah. And and this huge bet on the metaverse, which I think is 25 years out, not two years out. Obviously, I could be wrong, but I don't know. I think it's a massive bet on some, something that is not going to be here in the short term. And if it is, I think most people are going to be a little reticent about going into the Facebook meta metaverse. This is a whole other topic. Yes. I'm a little bit. We're going down the, uh, going down the weeds here. Yeah, I, I differ from you on the metaverse. I had a good experience with the MetaQuest 2 and currently really like it for virtual desktops and the ability to suddenly have multiple screens around you, even though you don't have multiple screens around you. But that's a whole other topic. Maybe we can get an, a, a metaverse expert on a future episode at a time when there's some metaverse news out there. So, all right. Hey, this was fun. I enjoyed ranting. I feel like I vented. I did too. Thanks for listening, everybody. Our podcast is produced and edited by Kurt Milton. Our theme music is by Daniel L.K. Caldwell. You can see all of the stories that we talked about and links to the earnings reports that we discussed in the show notes on this episode and at geekwire.com slash podcast. Hey, if you have not rated and reviewed the GeekWire podcast and you made it this far into the show with two cranks like us, You should really go into Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a rating and a review. You know, we're stuck on like 95 five-star reviews or four and a half star, whatever it is, on Apple Podcasts, John. It would be great to get over 100. It really would. So help us out, folks. (laughs) All right. Hey, until next time, I'm Todd Bishop. And I'm John Cook. Thanks for listening to GeekWire.